Welcome, folks, back into the next edition of the Electric Election Road Trip and Podcast. I am your executive producer, Saul Spady, alongside our host, Benjamin Backer, the founder of the Conservation Coalition. And we are joined by Emily Reichertz, who is the uh, CEO of, of course, Greentown Labs. Emily, you mind introducing us to where we are and kind of why this place is so darn special when it comes to environmental science and envirepreneurs all across the world? Well, so glad to be part of the Electric Election Road Trip. And uh, thank you so much for coming to Greentown Labs. We're located today in Somerville, Massachusetts, which is just outside of Boston. And we are in the wonderful triangle of uh, three different universities. Uh, if you imagine Harvard, MIT, and Tufts University, right in the middle of that triangle, that is where Greentown Labs is located. So great place for entrepreneurship. What are we doing here at Greentown Labs? Well. What aren't we doing at Greentown Labs? Um, as you have just been through a tour, uh, you will recognize that there are entrepreneurs addressing every aspect of the climate challenge that we're facing. And so these entrepreneurs are addressing big challenges related to manufacturing, agriculture, buildings, our electricity sector, and so much more. And each and every one of them is addressing it in a slightly different way. And so behind this wall here, you'll find a whole bunch of laboratory space, 40,000 square feet. And all of these companies are working in that space to develop their prototypes, which will become products, which will enable us to scale technology that's going to help us address our climate challenge. So lots of exciting things going on at Greentown Labs every single day. We have about 100 companies here that we support in our incubator. And an incubator is really a place that helps young companies, startups, to get started with a whole bunch of resources like the labs I just mentioned, also connections to investors and corporate partners, and as well, lots of different folks that are helping them from a perspective of an ecosystem that we bring together here at Greentown Labs. And finally, there's a really strong, really wonderful community of entrepreneurs that is working together here at Greentown Labs. So these companies support one another, they are peers, and they all have an interest in one another's success. And so that's that's what we're doing behind the walls here at that's, Greentown. That's incredible. And I, for just from the tour, learning about the different topic areas that are hit here. I mean, there's agriculture, there's battery storage, there's circular economy. There's just so much that gets covered here in terms of startups. I mean, 100 companies, you're going to cover a lot of areas. But I mean, everything from de-icing planes to, you know, sustainable cannabis farms. I mean, it, it's incredible the work that goes on here. Talk to us a little bit about what the importance is of having a facility and a, and a place like this that houses solutions from so many areas of this challenge. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'd say the importance of having everyone here together is that entrepreneurship in general is really hard. Now add on top of that, that you're building a physical product. So this isn't a, a company that you're gonna build in a coffee shop, an app that helps you get your lunch 10 minutes faster and you can upload it today and have customers tomorrow. These are companies that are working on physical products that are ultimately going to be needing to be manufactured. And so they need to be prototyped in a laboratory. They need to be tested in a real world environment. And then they need to be scaled. Hundreds of thousands of them or maybe even millions of those products need to be built 
and tested and get out there to actually have an impact on the scale of the problem. So the companies working here are working from a perspective of science and engineering to solve these big challenges related to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And so being all together gives them a couple benefits. One is, and this was really what Greentown was founded on, it was founded by entrepreneurs who needed to share space because they wanted to save money on rent, but they found that being together all in one place helped them to grow their companies faster and more efficiently because they could share information, they could share tools, they could even share interns. And so all of those things were really kind of what Greentown was based on originally. So there's a shared community, supportive and helping um, all of these entrepreneurs to move forward faster. I think the second thing to know about what companies get here that they probably don't get if you're just in a you know, normal co-working space is you have a lot of like-minded individuals who recognize that our climate crisis is a crisis and we need to be working on it each and every day in order to address it. And so when you start with that basis of knowledge, with that passion for mission, in addition to building a business, you're gonna find a lot of collaboration and a lot of collegiality. And that's exactly what we see here at Greentown. Well, and for our listeners out there, we're in a shared space here. And so that's why you're hearing doors open and close behind the scenes, but that's what makes it all really exciting because there's also a shared thread that I see kind of between the work that we're doing with the Conservation Coalition on this road trip, because all across America, there are people like that are gathered here working on these really exciting technologies and solutions, but maybe they're not connected. Maybe we are not aware about them. Can you kind of speak to that concept of how you almost are symbolizing what we need to do at scale across the, the United States and the world right here at Greentown Labs and how this is, we're going to get there. We can actually find some real solutions here and across the United States. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, that's one of the things that I love about what you all are doing is that you're making that connection and you're making it across a lot of different places and states and not just focusing on solving climate, the climate crisis from the coast. You're thinking about all the different people and uh, efforts that are going into addressing this challenge from so many different perspectives. And so I really, I love that about the work that you're doing. Um, for me, I think that there are a lot of folks that are, as I said, addressing this from different perspectives. And when I think of how to bring them together, I think that Houston, Texas, where we're about to expand or where we've announced we're expanding, we're working on the building right now. Oh, thank you. That is um, one of the things that we're really, really excited about. But when I think about what a place like Houston needs, it's exactly kind of a, a little microcosm for the entire United States. It's a very spread out place. There's lots of people that are doing different work, whether it's in renewable energy or energy finance or traditional energy, who all need to kind of be brought in to be moving towards where the city and frankly, the country need to go in terms of the energy transition. And so as Greentown, what we can do is convene folks around these ideas, convene folks around addressing the climate challenge, addressing uh, you know, the technology and finding the technology and developing the technology we're gonna need to solve that. And so I think that that's what we will be doing in Houston. And that is also, I think, what we need to do as a country. Recognize that there's so many different avenues that you can attack this. I mean, 
if you're in Houston, Texas, if you're in finance right now, if you are in engineering right now, if you are in marketing or business right now, there is some way that you can get engaged on acting on climate. And so those are the opportunities that we hope to lift up. And I think that your road trip is doing very much the same thing. And I think it's awesome. That, thank you for saying that, but you're exactly right. I mean, that message of kind of technology being the future of this is something that people don't often think about, honestly. They think of it as, as a very scary situation, climate change, which it is, but there's also a ton of opportunity. And the opportunity is seen here, right? The opportunity of fighting climate change is, can be a positive. And you can unite kind of all these different industries and all these different types of communities. And I mean, just last week we were in Wisconsin touring a dairy farm and now we're in Boston, you know, seeing everything from, you know, clean tech from every part of the every part of the the economy so i mean this is like an all all of the above any of the above approach in terms of who we work with and how we work with them you guys are doing that here in, in so many ways and i want to get to the importance of private sector involvement in a second but before that you touched on traditional energy in houston and that being such a prevalent part of their economy there you've partnered with numerous you know, traditional energy companies that a lot of people would think of as maybe not being environmentally friendly. We believe that we have to work with those communities to solve these challenges. Why do you feel that way? And why, you know, why is working with, company, with a company like Shell and Chevron so important to you? A couple of reasons. One is that this is not a problem that lends itself to being s solved on a you know, small company by small company scale. It's a gigaton sized problem and we need players in the game who are developing gigaton sized solutions that can actually address this challenge at scale. And so when I think about these large companies, I think about scale. How are we going to get solutions to scale the fastest? And this is, these are the companies in the energy industry that know how to do that, right? That's, that's where they work. That's how they work. So you need them there. I think the other thing is you don't want companies to be, or there's just no point in demonizing, right? I mean, we all, I, I think of climate change as something that we need to have all hands on deck to solve, right? And so if you're, pointing out one or the other that's doing this or doing that. How is that helpful to bringing everyone together to solve the problem? I, I don't understand how that's helpful. And so, I, you know, that's, so I want everyone at the table and I want everyone working on solving this problem. That makes me think so much of the work that you're doing, Benji, with the Conservation Coalition. I mean, just four years ago, I think you could look at the political climate and see that conservatives weren't very involved at all on climate. And now you're starting to see some real change, especially among the younger membership. And it's your following, your passion that I think that's trying to bring that there. I'd almost jump in and ask you, what are some of the specific companies that, you know, we, we got to tour, but we weren't able to record it all. But can you tell us anything that, you know, you get super excited about that, you know, that's happening here? that maybe our listeners have no clue that this is on the horizon as a technology. Yeah, well, I'd say um, one example that we're very proud of is Form Energy. Uh, that's a company that has um, developed a battery system um, really at utility scale that is going to help us to address the issues with intermittency of solar and wind and also to help us address, basically allow us to replace um, some current energy sources that are used when you have a peak power type um, occurrence. So 
This company is currently doing a pilot with a utility in Minnesota. They have the potential to take a coal plant essentially offline because this utility scale battery, usually you might have four hours of lifetime with, or four hours of storage with lithium ion, but instead you will have multiple days of storage with this new technology. So Form Energy, great company, um, has done an amazing job scaling from originally one or two people when they started at Greentown. Today there's 70 people, and uh, they have raised quite a bit of money to, to take their, what was an idea to reality and the creation of jobs and the creation of technology that could really be game changing. And, and a need, right? I mean, we all know that solar and wind are such an important part of how we build a better future, but we can't scale it at the level that we need to at this point because the technology isn't quite there, but you're, you're helping get that technology there here. And that's, that's the power of having a place like this is that you're, you're seeing a problem in the fact that battery storage isn't where it needs to be. And then working on the solution quickly. And I think that that's the power of the private sector. And I, and I would love for you to just speak to, you know, why this is so important for the global problem that we face. I mean, there's a hundred companies here, but they're all small startups or relatively small startups. But the goal is to scale them all. The goal is to really, you know, have this global impact. Why, why startups and why the private sector? Why is that so important? Well, let me just go back and say one thing. I think that solar and wind technology are well-developed. I mean, we can make tweaks around the edges, but those are, you know, those are commercialized and deployed technologies. I would totally agree with you that energy storage is a technology that is still under development, and we're still maximizing that really from an economic perspective and from a science and engineering perspective. So just- Well, just, yeah, just on that to clarify, I think, you know, the point is though that at the place that we're in, in, in America and, and the globe, we need these, you know, we need the storage and the technology to be able to scale clean power to entire communities. And I think that that's, that's what I was more hinting towards is that you, you need to have wind and solar be scalable to the entire globe at some point and, and into communities across the globe, even in developing countries. And I think we're getting there, but you need to have better battery storage. And that's, and, and that's the need that there is. And that's what's being solved here. And I think that that, you know, to my question about the private sector is like, there, there's so much power there in terms of finding the solution. I couldn't agree more with that. I think that, um, you know, again, we need all hands on deck. So we need small companies working on this. We need large companies working on this. And I think the private sector plays an incredibly important role the private sector can use some help though, and I think the public sector does come into that uh, quite strategically at different points. You know, with our companies, we often see that they benefit from grants that they might get in the very early stages of their development. And these are not large amounts of money. It's like tens of thousands of dollars, but that gets you an intern and a prototype. And that kind of money can be so catalytic towards really what comes next, uh, which is building the company. So there's a couple places where I think the public sector plays an important role. But I think the private sector, if the private sector is not on board from the very beginning, you know, you're not thinking about the market, right? I mean, ultimately someone's got to buy this stuff and it's not going to scale unless it is a product that can be bought and is sensibly priced and economic. So 
you got to have that built in from the very beginning. Well, really, what my takeaway is you kind of need that government right to incentivize companies to take that risk, whether they're small or large. But then this bigger one that I think we've started to learn on this journey is it's not just like GM told us this really interesting story about how they have sustainable carpet in their offices. And they thought that was great. But then they talked about we don't have sustainable carpet in our cars and we do six times as much carpet in our cars per, you know, uh, no, they do uh, in six months, they do more carpet in their cars than they've done in all of their offices. Right. And it's continual. And so now we need to connect, you know, maybe a small company that creates sustainable carpet and get them in a place where they can scale it for every car at GM, which is like it's a pretty wild task. Right. And, 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 and to that point, I think that to, the public investment side of it and connecting the small companies with the large companies with the public you know, sector and the government, that's, that's what we need more of. We need more of this kind of integrated solution rather than just the government or just a company or you know, just a local municipality. We need them all working together. And that's you know, something that I'm sure you've seen here because I'm, I'm sure some of the companies here have worked with the public and the private sector to get these technologies off the ground. Where do you think public policy, just in a general way, needs to go to make these these ideas more scalable. Yeah, so I, I have to tell you the best uh, startups that we have here will use every avenue available to them to, to move forward. They are scrappy, they are looking out for competitions that they might enter at a university. Then they're looking for small early stage seed grants that might be available from the, the public sector, a state agency, in, in our case, Massachusetts Clean Energy Center. Then they are looking for seed investment from angel investors who are you know, individuals who might be high net worth and willing to invest something in, company, in a company. Then they're looking for uh, you know, run, going through an accelerator program or another avenue. I think that the best companies are built by people who are very able to understand what is available to them in terms of resources and then take advantage of those resources. And so I think you, you see though that there are a lot of things that you really have to bring together that have to be aligned in order to make that track from the point of an idea to the point where you have even something to test in a laboratory to the point where you have products that can be actually deployed. And so, yeah, you have to have all those partners available providing uh, you know, funds and or different types of resources and support and technical assistance when it's ready. And I think that's kind of the magic of an incubator is that we have companies that have done every single grant program. Um, we have companies that have won every single contest. And so they can learn from one another and learn how to best leverage the resources and connections that are available to them. So I think that that is uh, kind of an important part of our role uh, here at Greentown. I'd love to go just a little bit deeper on that and go back to that concept of popping bubbles, whether it's you know GM on, on their carpets, whether it's Microsoft meeting these other companies. How can we take kind of the incubator mentality where it's pretty easy, right? Everyone's here, you get to see each other. You're naturally doing that. How can we bring that mentality and scale it kind of globally? And where do you see you know, maybe a company doing that really well in this really new remote world, which might empower us to take this challenge, which requires us to, to engage and, and pop these bubbles? Yeah, that is a really good question. You know, in terms of engaging and popping bubbles, I, I feel like that is something that 
incubators can do well. I think it's also something that you know your kind of um, your road trip can do well. I feel like there are organizations that are, are reaching out in ways that we didn't reach out before COVID because we don't have to travel anymore. We're having all kinds of virtual conferences and events where we now have the opportunity to connect and collaborate when we didn't really have that opportunity before because we had to actually go there and be there. Um, I don't know that I would point out exactly one organization that is excelling at that, but I think it speaks to the overall concept of what an ecosystem does. And an ecosystem really is not one organization, um, you know, helping all the others per se. It is the recognition that everyone has a common mission and a common goal. And that common goal and mission in the ecosystem around climate tech and clean technology is really to help address the climate challenge. And so if you have that and everyone's aligned, then everyone plays their role and plays their part. An incubator can help bring them all together. So I think that that is one thing that I'd say about um, you know, how this ecosystem works. But I also think it's important to build bridges and that's what we're doing with our Houston expansion as well. You know, we're already having virtual events that are connecting the Boston ecosystem that cares about this and the Houston ecosystem that cares about this. And they're getting to know each other. And you know, there's being in New England, there is and I actually grew up in Arizona, so I'm kind of I'm a rare west to east transplant out here. But uh, being in New England, there are a lot of, um, you know, I don't know if prejudice is quite the right word, but assumptions made about people that live in Texas and Houston and about whether or not they believe in climate change, et cetera. And I don't they, you know, that is not what I have personally experienced. When you go on the ground there and you talk to people and they live through, um, you know, that last big storm in 2017, these folks understand that this is happening right around them. It's potentially affecting their lives and livelihoods. And that is, you know, kind of enough. You have that common bond here in New England. We have, um, you know, basically the issue with sea level rising. We had the hottest summer we've ever had here. In Houston, you have flooding. So there's kind of a commonality and understanding that this is happening. And so the next step is what can we do about it? And I think that that's really the opportunity for bridging and for collaboration is, you know, we've got this engineering strength in both of these cities. How do we combine efforts? How do we connect people so that we've got the best and brightest minds working on these challenges together. Well, it, it is 100% true. Well, it, it true that that interconnectedness is getting better and that we are building more bridges and we're seeing that firsthand on this road trip. But it's definitely not where it needs to be because we, you know, we've traveled to, you know, South Dakota and, you know, rural Minnesota and Wisconsin and these, you know, people and, you know, what people think of as middle America, they want to be a part of the solution. And there are, there, there are, honestly are stereotypes and prejudices of those communities as being not part of, they don't want to be part of the solution when it's the, act, it's the exact opposite. They feel a little bit left behind because they don't feel like they have a voice and there isn't that interconnectedness. And like, yes, the, the, the problems of Houston in terms of climate change are different than the problems of, let's say Boston or, or South Dakota, but they rely on each other and they should rely more on each other for, for how to move forward because 
the problems might be different sometimes, but the solutions are often very similar. You can learn a lot from other parts of the country and other parts of the globe. And I mean, if you look at what's missing, it's a lot of times those conversations. It's the inability for us to sit down with one another and work out the differences, but also find common ground. And like here, you know, even on the tour, we were hearing about all these different, oh, this startup worked with this startup on, you know, providing this information and they had completely different wheelhouses you know it'd be like you know to simplify it like a, a, a ice you know a de-icing wing company with a cannabis company like totally different companies working together to like help each other out we can do that at the national and international level but we need to actually be open to it first and i think that that's partially the problem what do you think has really held that back in your in your eyes after seeing how it's worked here well, I think that gets back to the idea of the bubble, right? If you're surrounded by people every day that are saying the same things that you believe and you're never challenged and you never leave that bubble, then, you know, whenever you do finally come up against someone that doesn't, isn't part of your bubble, you just assume that they are not on your side and that there's no common ground to be found. And I think that is 100% wrong. And I think that there's so much opportunity to you know, again, we need all hands on deck. Like, let's figure out how to get there. Let's figure out what we have in common. We have to do that. This, this crisis is, <laughs> it's a crisis, right? We have 10 years to do a massive mobilization of our industries on all fronts to address this. We don't have time to sit around and call each other names. It's just too urgent. And we don't have time to wait for a perfect solution and i think that that's part of the part of the message that we're trying to say is we need to have all hands on deck and any solution is worth try, you know is worth trying and you know we can't wait for whatever our, you know everyone's got a preferred policy idea we can't wait for whatever that preferred policy idea is i mean we can still advocate for it but we've got to start moving you know supporting these communities supporting startups supporting big companies supporting really anything that can happen quickly well to be very blunt on that issue the time for action is right now and we need to be taking that action in all sorts of forms and all sorts of places. We actually have to take action because we have more conversations on this yes. road trip. But we've been uh, to kind of wrap this up. We've been asking everybody kind of what they hope we find as we continue our journey. We're about halfway. We've gone from Seattle to Boston, all across I-90 and really been really inspired. We've popped our own bubbles, uh, you know, and and uh, so I, I guess what do you hope we, we continue to find as this journey uh, goes down to Florida and, and, and we're going to go to Houston, Texas. Maybe we can stop by this this new location well we don't actually have the location yet we have a building it's empty you'd be welcome to visit it though and we can set that up for you if you want to do the podcast in the empty building empty we can even find places some to do podcasts yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know i hope you find more folks like the ones you just talked about in minnesota and in places that you know, sitting on a coast, you might not expect that you find people that are equally passionate about addressing climate change. And I hope you share their stories. And I hope that more people listen to this and hear that we gotta all be in this together. There are many different ways to address the challenge and it's better to have everyone fighting on the same side than fighting each other. I love that message. I mean, the, the story that's really hit home with me the most, I think is this wind maintenance you know, guy, vice president of remanufacturing at a wind maintenance company, super in the weeds uh, job. But he grew up as somebody who really didn't think about climate change or the environment. He got into a job that was good for, you know, 
That's a that's a noisy truck out there. Oh, you know, <laughs> we're, we're right near the action. That's not an electric truck. It is not. <laughs> Someday that's not going to be a problem. You know it. Uh, but he, but he was, you know, he grew up in a community where he didn't really think about like climate change as a big problem, and then he got into the industry because it was a, a great high-paying job, and now he's all about that. And I think that that's those stories need to be elevated because we need these communities involved, even if they're smaller communities, oftentimes, and. I hope we can continue to find that to your point. We've got a lot of the trip left in places that aren't seen as necessarily the environmental hubs of this country. And I'm really just honored to be able to see what's happening here. Because even though it's in the Boston area, you're taking companies from all over the United States and all over the globe. You're taking technologies that can be put. I mean, you're talking even about, you know, earlier, uh, you know, working on getting this battery storage in Minnesota. I mean, these are scalable technologies that are going all over the country. And it's super, super inspiring. And hopefully we can replicate this message on the national level like you guys have been able to. Well, thank you for the good work you're doing. Glad to have you. Emily Reichertz, uh, you are the CEO of Greentown Labs. You've told us that we need to keep up the electric election road trip. And so we're, we're not quitting. Uh, and and honest, we, we didn't call each other about these masks. No, I know. Benji, you're always, always matching with people that we meet I'm with. I'm sorry you did not get the memo. They, it's really, but I don't I love even, the llamas. Love them. Uh, love I the don't llamas. even know who we're interviewing next, but we're going to go out and we're going to figure it out and we're going to have a great conversation. It's the electric election road trip. I'm signing off. We'll see you soon.